Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we do give you thanks for your great love and your mercy to us. We thank you for the provision for all of our needs, and especially in in our part of the world, our needs are richly met. And we uh, want to make sure that we say thank you for all things. Mostly, we thank you that we know our Savior and we can join with Paul in confessing our faith um, in Him. We thank you for the salvation that not only reaches us, but reaches, as we talked this morning, the entire world. And the whole creation is going to be uh, set free from the bondage uh, that sin brought upon it. Not because it was did anything, it's because it was subjected to futility because of our sin. And so, our God, we thank you that Christ is renewing all things. And while we may not experience it the way that we think that it should be, that it should look uh, or should be, uh, yet we confess with the Scripture that's where our faith is. It's in your Word. It's not in our experience of anything around us. Faith uh, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it's in your Word that we hope. We pray now for wisdom as we uh, look at Isaiah chapter 7, a much disputed passage um, uh, throughout the centuries. Uh, We pray that you would open our eyes, help us to understand and to walk in light of what we learned there. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. While we face disturbing times, the church seems to grow weaker each day. Whereas in the early years of evangelicalism, to be an evangelical meant something. Today it means nothing. In fact, the term itself is nebulous at best. Add to this the political turmoil in which we are enthralled, the disturbing actions of the National Education Administration, and the threats against religious freedom with an apparent desire to destroy Christianity in America. We live in disturbing times, times that can unravel our faith. So what does God counsel us to do? Well, let's find out. Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. And first of all, consider the situation. Second, listen to God's word. And then third, take God's counsel. First, the situation. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to rage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. And when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. What a description, huh? That's how terrified they were. You could describe it in looking at a storm when it comes in and blows the trees. You know, that's how frightened they were. Well, why were they so frightened? Well, <clears throat> Ephraim um, is... It, when, when we read about Ephraim in the Bible, you've got to understand that it probably includes Manasseh as well. So they're not really separated. They seem to share the land in the north, Okay. So they were north. Sometimes they're called Samaria, and that's where the that's where the that's where the king reigned. Um, uh, and uh, and then they got in league then with uh, Syria. 
Um, Damascus was uh, the uh, <clears throat> was the seat of power, and uh, they decided that they were going to um, that they were going to oppose uh, the Assyrian uh, desire to to take over that part of the world. Assyria had not been able to conquer the West um, for some time, but at this particular time, they were more than able to conquer the West and they were going to do so. In fact, they were conquering everything. And they were a vicious people. You've got to remember this. They were vicious, and they were purposely vicious. They, um, they did things deliberately to terrify people. And uh, I want to describe the stuff that they did, because it's, it's, um, it's really disturbing. They had no regard for human life at all. And what they did was they would go in and they would terrify a people and then they would, then they would disperse them in other places to change, to, change, to change their religions, to do everything, to get them to be not a people anymore but to be part of Assyria. And uh, so when, when, this is, when this is happening, uh, Ephraim uh, and Syria uh, join forces together to oppose Assyria. They want to oppose it. Damascus wants to oppose Syria. So does Ephraim. And so Pika, who's really not a... Pika was a murderer, okay? I mean, the leadership in Israel was horrible. And Pika was a murderer. He murdered, he murdered, the, he murdered the son who was uh, on the throne before him. Um, that's the kind of people that we're, that we're dealing with. And they were very wealthy people, by the way. They weren't... They weren't poor, and they weren't going to. They were not going to submit to Assyrian rule. Uh, but the only way they could do that is if they bound together. So they told Judah, "Join forces with us." And Ahaz says, "No. I'm going to become a pro-Assyrian." His father was not pro-Assyrian, but Ahaz was pro-Assyrian, and he wanted to support the Assyrians because he figured. Rightly so, that they're going to be—they're going to come out on top in this thing. So I'm going to oppose them. So what happens? Syria and Ephraim come against Judah. Are they able to take it? No. And Ahaz sends a tribute to the Syrian king Tiglath uh, Pileser, and he sends him a tribute, and uh, the Assyrian king helps him. And eventually, the Assyrians take. Uh, the northern part of Israel, and they and they destroy it, and they disperse the people all over, all over the known world. I think that's probably where a lot of Jews ended up in Turkey and places like that, where they established synagogues. God used that to establish synagogues in other parts of the world, so that when the message of the gospel would come, the first place it would go was be to the Jews, and so they had they had a platform from which to preach the gospel. So. There, you know, the bigger picture is God's in control of this. And uh, while it may look really bad, um, it's not. Well, Ahaz, uh, all he can do is shake in his boots like the people around him. And um, so he asks uh, the Assyrian king Tig Tiglath-Pileser to um, help him out, and he pays him money to do that. And he paid him a lot of money because he was rich too. 
Now, what we're dealing with when we look in Isaiah, or even in all the prophets, you're dealing with kings who for the most part are wicked men. Not all of them were, especially in Judah. Judah has more righteous men than they do wicked, wicked kings. Um, but in the north, they were all wicked. I mean, these guys would sell their mother. They didn't care. They'd murder their own brother. It didn't matter. They wanted to be in power. They would worship any god. In fact, um, Ahaz even put his children through the fire. So he sacrificed to false gods. So he's a horrible king. And yet God is merciful to him. Uh, not because he's not because anything in him, but because God's merciful to his people. So God sends counsel through Isaiah to talk with Ahaz. Now what we what I want you to think about this morning, because Isaiah seven is one of those passages that Volumes have been written on. Okay, volumes have been written on Isaiah 7.14. So we're dealing with a passage that's gotten a lot of press from all different kinds of perspectives. And we can't go over them. Uh, um, and I don't know if I could even explain them to you. So, but what we can do is a step back and think for a moment. Because the scripture is given to us. Um, yeah, it's given to us to tell us the history. We need to know that. We need to know the situation because what we need to understand is that we're in a similar situation. It may not be exact in every detail, but we have corrupt leaders and there are corrupt leaders all around the world. Name one country that doesn't have a corrupt leader. I can't think of any. You know, just some are worse, <clears throat> some are worse than others. I mean, we're not, we're not as bad off as the Chinese, right? I mean, th- what's happening in China is a, re- is a rehash of Mao Zedong, right? That's what's happening. They're killing Christians. They're putting them in prison. Look at North Korea. That guy's terrible. Well, South Korea too, but they, they allow Christians to live there. And in fact, South Korea, they send a lot of missionaries around the world. So there's freedom there. But in North Korea, which is really a line in the, line in the sand, south and north, um, uh, you, you have people who are in prison. If they get caught with the Bible, they're put in prison. And sometimes they're killed. They're separated from their families. Their children are taken away from them. Look what's happening in the United States. They're using now uh, social services to go if parents don't agree with, uh, with, with what's going on with their children. Like a, say a child wants to uh, transition to become a, a boy, wants to become a girl. If a parent doesn't agree with that, now they're bringing in social services to take the children from the home. Instead of, I mean, they, because they're supporting this. That's where our country's headed. Well, does it, does it cause me to shake like, a, like the tree? Yeah, it does. I hate to see it. You know, but the message is the same to us as it was to Isaiah. As it was to Ahaz, I mean. It's the same message to us. It's the same counsel that God's going to give. The situation is similar. Not in every detail, but it's similar. We have wicked leaders all around the world. We have people who want to destroy the church. You know, we have 
Principalities and powers is what Paul calls them in heavenly places. What, where is our battle? Where is our battle? Where is the battle fought between Christians in this world? Not in this world. We're not supposed to take up swords and fight against the government, though I might be tempted to do that. The fact is, that's not our battle. The battle is against the principalities and powers of this present age. Now, some people balk at that and they go, oh, you're talking about the devil and his minions. I'm talking about the fact that evil is personified in those things. That ideas come from somewhere. You say, well, they came from you know, the president. He had an idea. Yeah, he did. Well, where does he get his ideas? Where do we get our ideas? Unless our minds, are being, our thinking is being changed by the Scripture... Where are the ideas coming from? We can, I guess we can make them up. But Paul describes it in Ephesians 6 as principalities and powers in this present age. How do we overcome them? Not with, not with, um, not with material uh, weapons, but with the weapons of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says in Ephesians chapter 6. Prayer. The ministry of the Word of God. Preaching of the Gospel. Those are the things that bring down the principalities and powers. Now, they may not bring them down the way we like. You know, I'm not saying that, with that, that if we do everything right, everything's going to change tomorrow. It, it probably won't, but that's not the point. The question is, what do we do? And that's what Ahaz is faced with. What do you do, Ahaz? Well, I'm going to do things my way. I'm not going to worship God alone. I'm going to sacrifice my children to, you know, Molech, and we'll go on from there. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to take some of this money that I have, and I'm going to give it to the, the Syrians. Oh, yeah, I'm going to take the, you know, the the sea that's by the temple. I'm going to change some of that. He didn't destroy it, I don't think, but he he changed it instead of having uh, what was it, lions under the. Under the under the under the holding up the sea, instead of that, he changed it to they think to to bulls, which would represent Baal, right? That's what they think he did. And then he destroyed the other bronze. So he 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 would just do whatever he needed to do, and I'll make this I'll make this allegiance I'll make this alliance with the king of Assyria. I'm not going to do what God says. We're not going to shake in our boots. I'll take care of it. We don't need a savior. How many times have you heard a presidential candidate in this country say, we don't need a savior? I, I've heard it too many times. It's the same human arrogance that you hear that people don't need God. Well, that's, where, that's what you're looking at when you look at the situation. Well, then, secondly, I think you need to listen to God's counsel. The Lord sends, uh, he says to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shereshub, uh, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, that's Pekah, because Against, um, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabiel, or Tabael um, as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand. 
and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus. That's the city Damascus. That's where the that's where the head um, the main uh, the sort of the that's where uh, what do we call it the seat of the government was. And the head of Damascus is Rezin, the king there. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. They're going to fall. He says within 65 years, they're going to be gone. And I think that's exactly what it was. The The whole north was gone. The Assyrians took them down. And so God says to Ahaz, if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Faith, if you're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. I want you to pay attention to a couple details. First of all, Isaiah was to bring his son, She'er Yeshuv, and his name means um, a remnant shall return. It's like, yeah, a remnant shall return. A remnant from where? That's yeah, kind of interesting. But it's his son. Isaiah supposed to bring his son. How old was his son? I don't know, but he was still, Isaiah was still able to um, produce children because in chapter 8, um, born to him uh, is another son, and his name is Mahar or Maher Shal Shalal Hashbaz. <laughs> That's his name, and they have meanings, just like Sheer has. A remnant shall return. Pay attention to that. It's a child, or a young man, anyway. That's there with Ahaz given this message. And the son is a message. He is a message himself. His name is a message. A child. Second, Ahaz was to stand firm by faith in God's promises. Faith in God's promise. So, here we are, facing an enemy, um, and we're devising every plan that we can to avert this enemy and to fight and save ourselves and destroy them, hopefully. You know, we'll make an alliance with this foreign king. We'll do whatever we have to to make sure that these people are put down and we're saved and we're, we're, we're preserved, um, which would never happen anyway. The Assyrians were not somebody who were going to just say, oh yeah, here, you know, line my pockets with gold, I'll take care of you. It didn't work that way. Line my pockets with gold, yes, and now you're mine. That's it. So it was just kind of a false hope that Ahaz has, but he has it. And God says, listen, don't pay attention to him. Isaiah, take your son over here with you. Your son whose name means a remnant will return. This is God's message. Tali has not to worry um, and uh, not to place his trust in his idols, his idols or his idol plans. Trust in God's word. He was to stand by faith in God's promise, but he didn't. Now, think for a moment. 
you're a North Korean. I watched this little video um, that uh, Voice of the Martyrs sent to me. I'd like for you to see it sometimes, a very short um, video about a North Korean man. Of course, it's enacted because you, you couldn't take this in, in North Korea. They wouldn't let you do that. But it's, it's a dramatization of what happened to this man and his, his family. This man um, would slip over the mountain border into China so that he could pick some mushrooms and then he would go into the marketplace in China and sell these mushrooms and slip back over the border so he'd have money for his family because they didn't have money and they, they didn't have anything. So he keeps going up over the mountain, you know, every, every week or so he'd go up <coughs> over the mountain. Well, one week he's over the mountain picking mushrooms and a man comes up to him. You know, what are you doing? The man was a pastor of a church. And so they got this relationship going that he would go, he, this guy would help him get the best price for his mushrooms so he'd go back. Well, but he introduced him to the scripture. The first thing the man did, no, 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 I don't want that. You know, I'll go to jail if I have that. Well, through their discussions, this pastor and this man, uh, they, he ended up, you know, taking a Bible. He took it back to his house. Oh, his wife, you know, as soon as she found out, he had, oh, she was upset. You know, no, 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 get, get that out of here. You know, get that away. And he, but he kept it. And after, after a little time, his wife was converted. She read the scripture, she was converted. So then, then he told a friend of his, and the same thing, that all these people are terrified. The police are going to come at night if we have this Bible. They're going to come and get us. You know, don't, don't have them. He, he just kept it on him and he would share with his friends. And that's what that video was about, how this man spread the gospel in his little village, you know, starting off just him and his wife, then he and his wife, and then he and his wife and his friend. And they, they, they lead people to Christ, they disciple them. And this pastor over in China was the one who was helping him until one day the man went back and the pastor was gone. And he found out that the pastor was arrested and killed. But the faith still lives in that little community in North Korea. When we face those kinds of things, our first inclination is to, is to um, do whatever we have in our power to do to stop it. We have to, we're afraid to put our lives on the line. That's the problem with my Christianity. That's the problem with the Christian, with Christianity in America, in the West. We're afraid to put our lives on the line. We're afraid to say, God, we're going to do this and, uh, and that's it. I'm going to do what you say no matter what happens. I'm going to take the gospel out there no matter how, what somebody does to me. I've got to put my life on the line and I'm not willing to do that, but they are. And that's what it means to stand by faith, doesn't it? Isn't that what God was asking or telling Ahaz to do? Stand by faith. Because if you don't stand by faith, you will not stand at all. That's a challenge to him. It was a challenge to us too. Do we believe God? 
if you were a person who could, uh, I was reading this the other day, I can't remember what book it was in, anyway, um, uh, I was reading this book and uh, the man said, uh, <clears throat> if you were to keep the, the, the Ten Commandments, let's just say you could, you would keep the Ten Commandments. And, um, and you did that, and everybody around you didn't. And uh, you did that, and you were persecuted for doing that, right? You were persecuted for doing that. What would that be? What would that be like to you? And, um, you know, the answer is, well, that would be like hell. You know, you'd be, you'd, be, you'd be living one way, telling people around you that this is the way to live, and they hate you for that. They persecute you for that. You say, well, what is that? Is that heaven or hell? Well, what is it? We would say, well, that's, that's hell to live that way. Everybody hates me. Well, no, it's really kind of a godly way to live, but uh, that's, that's what it takes. It takes that kind of, of, of um, moxie, right? To say, I believe God no matter what. No matter what people think around me, no, even if they hate me, even if I lose my, my sons, you know, do I tell them the gospel? Do I speak? Do I tell them that till they get sick of me and say I hate you? I'm never going to come to your house again. Well, I've never done that. But would I? Would I be willing to do that? And God is saying something like that to Ahaz. He says it to us too. If we don't stand by faith, we won't stand at all. Period. That's God's counsel to us. Walk by faith, not by sight. Hmm. Well, then that leads us to the third point, and that is take God's counsel. Don't just listen to it. Don't just hear the words, walk by faith, not by sight. Take it to heart. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz and he said, Ask for a sign. And we all know this passage very well. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. How big of a sign is that? <laughs> How big of a sign is some, a sign that's as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven? <coughs> Man, that's like, that's like anything, right? You know, ask for any kind of sign. Here, make it this big or that small. It doesn't matter what, how big it is. You ask me for it. I'm going to give it to you. And Ahaz in his false piety, um, in his false idolatrous piety, says, I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to test the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a sign. I feel like slapping Him. Right? Who are you? You're going to do that to God? And that's what kind of what um, Ahaz, uh, or what Isaiah says uh, to Ahaz. He says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you will weary my God also? Now we know that God can't be wearied, right? But <laughs> that's how, that's how um, frustrating this, this Ahaz is making the situation. He's frustrating. He's making it worse. Now, what, what is the matter with you, Ahaz? You're going you're gonna to try to weary God too? Therefore, this is what's going to happen. The Lord Himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call His name Emmanuel, and it means God with us. Um, and He shall eat curds and honey when He knows um, 
how to refuse he will eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good for before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose the good uh, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted Assyria is going to wipe him out and the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah uh, the king of Assyria now um the, uh, the, I got to keep telling you that volumes have been written on this passage. You know, the discussion is whether it's talking about a virgin or a young woman. Uh, many modern versions uh, uh, have capitulated to that, and they've removed the word virgin. Is is the passage talking about a child that's going to come later? Um, is it talking about a child? Is it, for example, some people think that the verse is talking about. Um, uh, Isaiah's second son uh, in chapter 8 Maher Shalal Hashbaz some, some commentators believe that that's what the reference is to the, to the virgin born son a, do you see a problem with that? I mean just if you know, we just read the passage Isaiah already has a son so I don't know that he had you know two wives. You know, usually they didn't. For prophets, didn't anyway. Um, so uh, what's the deal? If he has one son already, then his wife, who has the second son, couldn't be a virgin because she already had a son. So just in the passage, it makes you wonder why somebody would come to that conclusion. Well, they come to the conclusion because they deny they deny the miraculous, supernatural can't happen, and so you remove that uh, thought from your mind. Well. Um, in terms of the word, whether the word a virgin means a young woman, well, it can. It, it can. It can mean just a young woman. It could mean a young woman who's just recently been married, too. However, most of the time it refers to a, a young woman who's of marriageable age who's presumed, presumed to be a virgin. So the Septuagint uses a word that means specifically virgin in, in the Greek. And so at least the translators of the Septuagint understood that Isaiah is talking about a virgin, not some, something else. And that's how the New Testament then understands it and interprets it that way. Um, so I believe that it's a virgin that refers to um, the Messiah. It refers to Christ. I want you to think about how this is laid out because you're going to go from chapter 7 to chapter um, 9 and where's the focus? It's on a child. A son is going to be born. We read in chapter 9 that a child is given and the government shall be on his shoulder. Wait, a child? A child is given and the government's going to be on his shoulders. Um, he's going to do all these wonderful things as a child. What is God saying to Ahaz? To put your faith in the promise of God. What? What is the idea? Well, I think I'm right. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, it's the seed of woman who's going to crush the seed of the servant. 
If you come to the Abrahamic covenant, it's the seed of Abraham who's going to overcome, right? If you look through the Scripture, it's always focusing on this future seed. So you get to Isaiah, and it's a future seed. We come to the New Testament, and we read Paul's words like in Galatians, where Christ was born of a woman, and all that stuff, and he was the, He's the son of Abraham. God didn't say many seeds, He said one seed. You know, in your seed, all the nations will be blessed. God didn't say, you know, seeds, plural, He said seed one. Well, in, you know, in the Scripture, seed can mean a descendant's. It doesn't have to be in the plural. But Paul's interpreting uh, the Old Testament and he's saying, listen, the, the promise made to Abraham was about a seed and that seed is Christ. And so, as we come to Isaiah chapter 7, we're looking at children again. A child is going to do this. A child is going to be born who's going to come and be the king. A child... A child is the servant of God. A child is the servant suffering in Isaiah chapter 53, which we'll get to uh, not in, in a little while. But what I want you to understand today is that God is calling you to faith in... What God was calling Abraham or Ahaz to was faith in this promise of, uh, of, a, of a child. A son is going to be given. Believe what I say. Isaiah chapter 9, the same thing. Believe what I say. So God is saying to us, dear friends, that He wants us to believe what He says when it comes to that seed. Because that seed is Christ. We're not called to overcome the world through, by taking up a sword. I'm not saying not to be involved in the world. I'm not saying not to try to, to change things the way they are. The, I believe we should do that. I believe if you have the ability to uh, debate things with, uh, with the world, that we should do that. We should engage. We should engage. But we should engage as Christians. Daniel engaged, didn't he? With Nebuchadnezzar. But he did so as a believer. When they told him not to pray anymore, he said, Hey, what do I care what you say? I'm going to go pray. And he did and he got in trouble, but didn't matter. God delivered him. The point is, the way that we overcome the world, we just looked at this this morning, is not by might and power, but by faith. Faith in the risen Savior. We, if, we change the, if we could change the whole world, just imagine this, if you could go out, young people, and change our world, and make it all really nice according to your understanding of things. Would you have changed anyone's heart? What needs to change in our world is the heart of people. And the only way the hearts of people are changed is through the gospel of Christ. And so I believe what we need to do is to take the counsel that God gives us to ourselves and, and, and put our faith and trust in this sign who is the Christ. Put our faith and trust in Him. And live in light of Him. And walk the path He wants us to walk. Take up your cross daily and follow Him. And in that way, we will be different. And in that way, the world will be, will be changed. Not by might, not by, not by, um, what is it? Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. That's how we're supposed to live. And if we don't walk that path of faith, 
We will not stand. That's, that's the way it works. So today what I'd like for you to do as you take this away, think about Isaiah chapter 7. Again, it's a difficult passage, but it's a beautiful passage. Think about the situation that is there uh, presented to us uh, with, about Ahaz and the people of Judah. And, uh, and remember that God is the one who, who takes care of us in the midst of all the trouble around us. Second, listen to God's counsel as He directs our attention to the promise. And then third, take that counsel. Walk by faith, not by sight. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we do thank You for Your love and Your goodness to us. I confess that I, oh, I, I don't walk by faith the way the Scripture describes it. Um, it's difficult to take up the cross daily and follow You. Dying to my own self is hard to do. And yet, that's what you call us to do. Each day of our lives, we're supposed to do this. Each moment, we're supposed to bear the cross. Each moment, we are to live as Christians in this world, a fallen world that hates you. And we're to be a light that shines in this world because you love this world. For God so loved the world. That includes the people. It includes more, to be sure, but it includes people. God so loves people. He loves His creation. He wants us to walk in the light as He is in the light. Our God, we pray that You would help us to take Your counsel to heart. That we may live to the praise of Your glory and grace. We thank You in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you please... Um,